Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Clutch Conversations podcast. My name is Kevin Gray. Thank you for joining us. On this episode of the Clutch Conversations podcast, we sit down with attorney, sports journalist, and co-host and executive of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Jamal Murphy. We discuss the intersection of sports and culture and how athletes today are making a difference in their world. We also discuss Jamal's journey as a sports journalist and attorney and his current activities as a sports journalist. We hope you enjoy today's episode of the Clutch Conversations podcast with attorney, sports journalist, and the co-host and executive of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Jamal Murphy. Hello, this is Jamal Murphy with Bill Roden on Sports and CBSLocalSports.com. I'm here uh, with the Clutch Conversation podcast. And joining me today on the Clutch Conversations podcast, a very special guest on the third episode of the Clutch Conversations podcast. He likes to call himself the Blackatologist on Twitter, and he's also an attorney, a sports writer, and co-host and executive producer of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast. His name is Jamal Murphy. Jamal, how are you? Hey, how's it going, man? Good to be here. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on the Clutch Conversations podcast. And part of this podcast is talking to individuals who have had not only unique careers within sports journalism and talking about the intersection of sports and culture, but for you, you're in a very unique position because you work with one of the legends, if you will, of not only journalism, but sports journalism itself in terms of one uh, Bill Roden. Kind of talk about that experience as you've continued to work with him now, obviously as the co-host and executive producer of Bill Roden on sports and what kind of influence he's had on your career as you've continued, not only your sports journalism career, but all of the ventures that you've continued and are engaged in. Yeah. Like you said, no question. Um, I have the privilege of working with a legend, uh, you know, one of the greatest sports writers of all time um, in Bill Roden. And it's, you know, not just a sports writer. I like to look at him as, as almost really like a civil rights lawyer uh, in a sports writer's body, kind of. You know, he doesn't write anything, really, unless unless it's addressing, uh, you know, social justice issues, uh, particularly uh, facing African-Americans and, you know, discussing, you know, the the uh, the intersection between sports and 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 black issues. Uh, to be honest. Um, so obviously I've learned a whole lot from him. I admired him, uh, you know, when I was growing up, I actually had a connection to him. He was a, he was a friend of my father's, um, you know, for years. Uh, so I had met him a couple of times, uh, growing up. Um, but you know, didn't have any real professional relationship with him until about, uh, I would say, you know, five, six years ago, uh, when we got together, he found out that I was, uh, I was writing about sports um, and that was one of my passions and we got together and worked on some things and we ended up doing a podcast together. But, you know, I learned from him every day, 
uh, just, you know, all kinds of things, uh, how the business works, uh, just seeing how his mind works in terms of um, uh, the way he addresses writing columns and how he comes up with stories. Uh, and really, like I said, the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, he's coming at it from a from a from a black perspective, um, trying to, you know, further our, our, you know, our cause, when I say our African, African-Americans, further our cause using sports as a vehicle and also trying to educate other people uh, through sports. So, you know, I could go on and on about Bill Rose. <laughs> of course, one of my favorite books that I've read just period and in general uh, $40 million slaves written, of course, by Bill Roden, one of his um, most prolific works and obviously a huge influence on all of us, not only who watch and cover sports, but just take in sports and deal with social justice issues in general. Bill Roden, of course, one of the, the foremost pioneers with respect to that. And as far as your career is concerned, a longtime attorney and sports writer, kind of talk about, if you can, how you got started in terms of your career and kind of the intersection of what you do, not only as an attorney, but also with this whole big old grand scheme of world of sports that you cover and look at also how those things continue to intersect with one another. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I was, I went to law school, went to Brooklyn law school. Uh, I'm a graduate of North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina. So then, you know, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. So I came back to Brooklyn for law school. Um, always, always had, you know, always kind of wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, you know, always thought analytically, um, liked to debate, um, always looked at things just like I was saying with, uh, Bill Roden earlier in terms of, uh, a way to, uh, help others who, who who can't speak for themselves. That's how I looked at looked at the law. Um, so I did that. But but growing up in in high you know in high school and even before that grade school, uh, sports has always been a huge huge part of my life. You know I played sports growing up uh, basketball uh, since you know third or fourth grade. Pretty competitive, very competitively. Um, high school played Division three. Uh, basketball, played high school football, um, but was a huge fan at the same time of sports. So really, I always I tell people, uh, if I would have done really done what my heart told me to do, I would have been a sports writer right out of college. Like that's, you know, I was writing for the school newspaper, my high school newspaper, doing a sports uh, column um, and, you know, playing fantasy sports ever since like grade <laughs> school, like fantasy baseball even. So I've always been a sports nerd. Um, so sports has always been a huge part, obviously the legal, the legal aspect of my life, it made sense to do that. Like I said, wanting to be a lawyer, but also knowing that a law degree, you can do a lot of different things with it. Um, so, um, but I also think there is an intersection, even just the basic, um, you know, basic tenets of being a lawyer and then, you know, looking at sports and trying to look at sports critically and then knowing what questions to ask and, and knowing how to question, uh, you know, an interviewee or, uh, or things of that nature. I think that those things are related. And even, you know, obviously there are all kinds of legal issues that come up in, in sports, you know, almost weekly uh, that you can apply, the you know, the law and have you studied the law, you can apply uh, to those to those situations. So, I mean, it, to me, it's a perfect fit. And honestly, that kind of transitions me perfectly into what we've seen, obviously, 
over the last several months and the last couple of years with respect to, of course, Colin Kaepernick and him being blackballed by the National Football League and him dealing with his collusion case. And now, of course, we've seen the new Nike campaign celebrating its 30th year of the Just Do It campaign. When you look at the intersection of sports and culture, sports and politics, the social political climate that we're in and how sports continues to fit into that. And you look at Colin Kaepernick himself, what are we seeing in terms of the modern day athlete continue to navigate these spaces and how are athletes in your opinion, continuing to navigate those spaces in effective ways? Yeah. I mean, it's just a continuation. I think, you know, I say this a lot. Uh, Bill says this a lot. Uh, there's there's always been this intersection. It's nothing new. Um, sports has has always brought out these, you know, these type of uh, issues that are really everyday issues for for everyday people of color that sports brings to the rest of the country because that's where uh, you know many white people see black people for the first time and that's where that's where they choose to to watch them is in the sports arena entertainment arena. Uh, so, so when these political and social issues are brought out in sports, it's really the first time that a lot of, of white people and non-people of color are forced to deal with these issues. So, so to me, um, it's almost gone in a way full circle because you had it in the in the 50s and 60s, or particularly the 60s. Uh, you know, a lot of the athletes were outspoken, and uh, you know. It was an everyday. It was an everyday issue. Uh, these issues were were talked about. These issues uh, were were as much a part of the sport as the sport itself. Then maybe it went away, and you had like the Jordan era where athletes didn't want to deal with these type of issues, and they you know they they really just wanted to to try to assimilate uh, and make money. And now uh, it's come full circle to a you know to the what the you know we're 2018 now. And I think a lot of athletes are understanding that there is you really there is the hope of assimilation is a dream, you know, and it's not we're not there yet. And it's it's been depressing. And I think that that many athletes and and people of color in general see that the, that pro, not enough progress has been made. So these issues have to be revisited. And I applaud athletes of today for uh, you know taking on that mantle. And, of course, we've seen a lot of that, especially in recent times, not only with Colin Kaepernick, but, of course, LeBron James, Serena Williams, and all of these athletes continuing to lend their voice and their platform to these particular issues, which brings us to, obviously, what's taking place and what has been taking place in the National Football League. When you look at the entire issue that they've been dealing with in terms of this national anthem policy or lack thereof and the issues surrounding it, what is next, do you believe, that players can continue to do to use their voice to deal with these particular issues? And is the NFL missing a, an opportunity to really bridge the gap with their players in order to ensure that where these things continue to happen? When we talk about things like the uh, Freddie Gray situation out in Baltimore, the Philando Castile situation in Minnesota, and these teams playing in these cities what can the NFL do or recognize better to help these players who believe in these issues continue to help them bridge the gap in terms of dealing with these issues? Well, the NFL has completely dropped the ball. I mean, they've, they've been horrible on, on these issues. And I, like I said, I commend the players. You know, a lot of people say, oh, the players, what are they really doing? Uh, they could do, they could do more than, 
than uh than what than just kneel uh what's their real plan but take a look at what they've what they have accomplished i mean they've 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 created a whole narrative they've they've forced people to to talk about these issues uh, and and we you know like we're talking about right now we wouldn't be having this conversation if if players hadn't um uh taken the steps that they've taken but uh, but going back to the NFL i mean they've completely dropped the ball uh it's almost embarrassing the way the NFL has handled it uh you, you know you look you talk about the nike uh Kaepernick uh, co- collaboration that was a no brainer uh and nike to me it shows it's really an, a lesson to everybody else including the NFL, including, you know, co- uh, companies like ESPN, uh, that you that you can take a stand, um, that if you come out and, and, and support the right side of history, which which Kaepernick is clearly on, we know this, right? We know, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, Martin Luther King, the school desegregation, we know all of that was on the right side of history, right? So we know, it's just like we know now that Kaepernick, you know, asking for, uh, social justice is the correct side of history to be on. And Nike, you know, even though I feel like Nike was late, but they finally did it. <laughs> and they, and, and they showed, uh, you know, now their stock is as high as, high as it's ever been. So all that, all the, all the talk and, and the nonsense that was, you know, saying that they were going to lose money, we see that that's, that's complete nonsense. So the NFL, who was making a similar argument, uh, should should take a cue from from uh, Nike and and start doing the right thing. And of course, Nike with its "Just Do It" campaign, Colin Kaepernick being the face of that campaign, I believe called the NFL's bluff. Honestly, when they decided to make Colin Kaepernick the face of their campaign, and when you start thinking about some of the issues that these players continue to deal with, and how that looks like moving forward, and hearkening back to the days of the movement in terms of civil rights in the '60s, and dealing with those particular issues, what do you believe is the next frontier for athletes to continue to explore? Now that it seems that there has been a reboldening of these athletes in terms of dealing with these issues, what do you believe is next in terms of that frontier for athletes who want to continue to voice their concerns about issues? that they feel are important to them well i think i think they're doing it i think uh they need to continue to speak out i think they need to continue to work within the community to uh you know you know a la uh jenkins from from philadelphia uh actually get down and dirty with with the issues uh uh you know talk to members of congress and that type of thing but one thing i would love to see is you know, for instance, the political climate that we're in. A lot of the, a lot of the athletes are talking about, you know, not afraid to talk about uh, their opinions about uh, President Trump. Uh, one thing I would love to see is like a voter drive or something of that nature, where these athletes put their name, their fame, and their name uh, out there and and influence and you know, a, a, you know, voter registration drive or or something like that to get the community uh, galvanized into making changes that can be made. And athletes continue to lend their voice to these particular issues and the creativity that we, and in terms of us who watch these athletes want to see them continue to grow and use their voice to continue to deal with these issues is the next step for these athletes when it comes to their using 
their platforms. And when you look, honestly, at the entire overall sporting perspective and landscape and you see the intersections of sports and culture and the different avenues that those continue to permeate. And obviously you being on the East Coast, especially in terms of a city like Brooklyn and New York itself, when you start looking at certain sports markets, what are these athletes going to continue to do, especially in those bigger markets, to allow them to see their visibility continue to grow, but more importantly, continue to express their concerns about issues and how, in terms of social media, kind of connecting with athletes do in terms of social media? How was that changed, especially in those bigger markets like a New York or a Los Angeles or Chicago, where you're seeing these athletes, especially using social media to be able to express themselves more? Right. In the bigger markets, just allow for you know a greater opportunity for these players to express themselves i you know players need to keep educating themselves on 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 important issues just as everyday people as as we all need to do we need to stay attuned with with what's going on um and the and the great thing about social media it really closes the gap between between the big market and the smaller market so it doesn't really matter uh what market you're in your your voice can be heard uh, but to, but but uh, like you said, particularly in the big markets, New York, California, uh, there's there's more opportunity to uh, to have your voice heard, and I think these players are taking advantage of that. And speaking of one of those athletes, of course, who has made his way to a large market in terms of the City of Angels is one LeBron James, and we've seen kind of this evolution, if you will, LeBron James over the last fifteen, sixteen years with him being in the NBA, not only as a spectacular talent on the court, but now the more visible role that he is taking in terms of the social issues and dealing with those things and using his voice in terms of the platforms, whether it be his new uh, show with HBO or the platforms that he's using and building his I Promise School out in Akron, Ohio. When you look at LeBron James and the effect that he's having, not only obviously as a basketball player, but what he's doing outside of the court, what has his presence meant in terms of the modern day athlete, especially given his visibility and his star power that we've seen throughout his entire career? Oh, it's been tremendous. Like I said, you go back to the eighties and nineties and you had Michael Jordan and, you know, not to pile on Michael Jordan, but like I said, it was, uh, it was staying out of politics. It was Republicans buy sneakers too. It was that type of thing. And he was the, he was, the athlete that everybody looked to regardless of, of, of sport. So that was, that was the model that most athletes, even young athletes coming up chose to follow. Now you have LeBron James, who is the Michael Jordan of this era. Uh, You know, I'm not going to get into who's better. We'll we'll leave that for another day, but that's, you know, that's totally besides the point, but he's, he's the Michael Jordan of this era. And now all the kids looking up to him, players even even his peers who look up to him uh can take a cue from him and they see he's not afraid to speak out and they see he's talking about issues that affect you know most of these athletes as we know most uh, most of them are 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 african-american and definitely nba and 70 percent in nfl as well so they have a role model now and and you know 12 year old kids 10 year old kids have a role model that they can look up to and they understand that not only is it okay to speak out against things that you you feel are are unjust or unjustified uh it's almost, it's your responsibility as 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 LeBron James has said on many occasions and as someone who obviously covers sports through the lens that you have a very unique lens 
with your being an attorney in the background that you have with that particular career, how do you want to shape the conversation in terms of how you discuss these issues with those who are not only your peers, but those who you are helping to help understand what today's sports climate looks like, given the complex nature of how sports is fitting into the political and social and all the kinds of different climates that we see that sports is continuing to intersect itself in. Well, to me, the, one of the main things is, is, you know, everything we're talking about, the intersection between sports and politics and culture. Um, this is, this is how it's always been. And I would, I would want people to, to accept that. Uh, don't run away from, don't run away from it. And I'm talking about people on the other side too, or, or, you know, don't, don't get it twisted. A lot of white people understand this also and their support. Kaepernick has support of a lot of white people. LeBron James has the support of a lot of white people, but there are, there is that section of society that, that, that want that acts as if sports is, is a complete escape and you don't have to deal with these issues. Those, you know, this is how it's always been. Uh, if you if you are willing to, if if you are willing to to pay money and and be a fan of these athletes, you need to take that athlete as a whole. You need to take you need to understand that that athlete is a person that has issues just like you do. And if if you if you're a so-called fan of 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 his team or his play, you know you know let's be honest. Let's 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 be a fan of the entire person. Okay, let's 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 be caring for for everything they do. Don't be a hypocrite and just cheer for them when they're running, running and and jumping and blocking. Uh, You know, care about them as a person, too. And that's what I would like to get across. And it's interesting. We've always seen the intersection of sports and culture, especially from the male side of things. And you're starting to see a lot larger voice in terms of women in sports themselves recently, of course, with Serena Williams and some of the comments that she had during the U S open final out in New York. We've seen Skylar Diggins of the WNBA talking about issues of pay with terms of the WNBA and players there. How are women continuing to have a larger voice in the, in the conversation when it comes to sports and the issues that not only they deal with that are unique to them, but also the larger social context of women in sports in general. Yeah, I, women have had have a have a strong voice throughout history. So it's it's really no there's really no difference. Uh, we always look to to women, you know, to be a strong voice in terms of uh, in, t- in terms of what's just and to call out things that are not just in society. So I think it's just a continuation of what of what women have always done. Uh, the thing that would that would amp up their the, the opportunity for them to speak is 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 that the women's sports become more popular like the WNBA. Uh, it would be, it's important to support that league and, and, and appreciate what they're doing uh, on the, on the playing field and on the, on the playing court. Uh, it's interesting. You know, I always think about, you know, you talk about Serena, you know, tennis, tennis is, is the probably the most popular women's sport. So that's the sport where you really see, a, you know, an icon or a sports icon come out of. You don't see that too much in any other sport, maybe track and field, but it really is, it really, we really see it in tennis. So that that allows a Serena Williams to be vocal and to be influential to, you know, to other women and to, and to, to people in general and to call out, uh, you know, societal issues as they see them. And kind of an aside to that in thinking about Serena Williams and obviously Venus Williams and their career, when you look at their collective careers and their collective story, 
Is this honestly one of the greatest stories in American sports history when you think about where they've come from and the level of success that they've had? Is this the greatest American sports story that can be told given the circumstances that they've had to overcome and what they've now been able to achieve throughout their entire career? No, there's no question about it. In fact, the last podcast, the last Bill Rodin on Sports that we did, uh, Bill you know, was talking about this and saying, you know, if, if the Williams sisters were white, they would have had a, a statue in front of every Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> there's no question about it. So that's part, you know, and, and they know that, right? So that's part, probably part of their frustration uh, when you see them lash out about certain things. So there's no question about that. And that, that brings up another point. Uh, you're right. The Williams sisters, one of the greatest American feats ever, if only they were considered truly American, right? That, and that's the thing. We uh, African-Americans are American. They're, they're as American as it gets. You know, African-Americans have been here since the 1600s, since 1619, longer than, than you know, almost any other uh, ethnic group there is in this country. So, there is no more American than an African-American. And I think we all need to, to understand that even, even ourselves, even ourselves as black Americans and African-Americans, we need to understand, we need to understand that and embrace that ourselves. And being in a city as such as New York, where baseball is king in terms of the Yankees and the historic nature of what they mean, not only to baseball, but the historical context in American professional sports and kind of a subject that I've always been interested in, obviously, is the lack of African-Americans that we see in Major League Baseball. And not only that, but in terms of the exposure of the game to African-Americans within the communities where baseball could potentially be a tipping point for them. What does baseball have to do, kind of transitioning, what does baseball have to do to order to attract more African-Americans to play a game where we've seen blacks dominate the game of baseball in terms of Ken Griffey Jr. and Barry Bonds and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron of the past? What does baseball do or need to do to attract more African-Americans in playing the game of baseball? I think they just need to want to do it. They need to they need to understand that it's important for them to do. I mean, you look at baseball and there's there's no question that there's there's some kind of decline going on in baseball. It's uh, and fandom is, has gone. It's more regional now. Uh you know, it's not it's not not exactly the same fan support. The game itself has changed, and I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of of black players that are currently in the game. So, in my opinion, the ML, MLB needs to understand that they they need they need black athletes. Their sport needs black athletes if they want the sport to be as good as it can be. Uh, to you know, to live up to to the to days of old, they need to reach out. Uh, and and not just not just to, you know reach out to to be courteous to to the black community. You need to reach out for the good of your own sport. And I think once they realize that, uh, they'll be on their way. It's amazing that we've seen the decline of blacks in terms of Major League Baseball, especially given the historical nature of how black ball players have dominated Major League Baseball over the years. As I mentioned, guys like Willie Mays and Barry Bonds and King Griffey Jr. and the others that have right. come before them. It's amazing to see right. that. Rick, Ricky Henderson, Dale right. Strawberry, Dwight, you know, Doc Gooden, guys I grew up with, you know, uh, Dave Winfield. I mean, like I said, the game itself has changed and not and not for the better. And obviously, as we continue to see 
blacks in terms of the sports, in terms of football and basketball and other sports where they've made their way into the the populace of of America when it comes to these particular sports. When you look at the future of what sports continues to look like in terms of growing, in terms of diversity and culture, not only just through the color of a particular person playing a particular sport, but sexual orientation and the different concepts that we're seeing intersect into sports. Where do you see sports heading as far as the next five to 10 years and how it continues to grow, not only with what we've seen in terms of its intersection and continued intersection with culture and politics, but more so how athletes will continue to grow in terms of what they will do moving forward to not only help their individual sports grow, but more so help the collective to understand what's really going on in terms of the issues that they deal with? Yeah, I think they Sports is going to grow just like society is going to grow there. And they're probably in some, in some areas, it'll, they'll, they'll lead the rest of society in terms of growth. And in other areas, they might be a little behind. Like you, you mentioned sexual orientation, uh, sports, it's male sports have been you know, very slow as far as that goes, because it's an old school kind of thought, uh, you know, you know, machismo and, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, they need, that that area they need to they need to evolve, but I, but I don't I think that's going to take a little more time. Um, in other in other areas where we're talking about you know social change and race uh, and stuff like that, I think they're going to be a, they'll lead as far as the rest of society. So uh, you know I think it's a double edged sword in a lot of ways, and, and 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 you know it's not all on athletes to to lead. Uh, social change it's on the rest of us as well and i think we need to feed off each other and kind of as we finish up here in in having this conversation it's been a fabulous conversation for you as you continue your career and you continue to move forward what are some things that you're continuing to work on that you want to continue to move forward with and what kind of advice would you give those who want to potentially step into uh, sports journalism or being a part of this particular world of being able to cover these athletes? What are some of the things that you're working on some of the advice that you would give to those who want to be a part of what not only you're doing, but also moving forward in their own careers? Yeah, for me personally, I, you know, I just want to be able to create, a lane or find or find a lane where where you know african american or minorities in general can can ex- express their views as far as sports goes uh and and have a you know have a have a true audience where we where we work with each other where we listen to it we, we have we have someone who who looks like us and who sounds like us that we can listen to and and talk about sports with and also educate other people i mean my thing with this, with this, with the the way sports looks now, and the way sports journalism and broadcast and sports broadcast looks now, is that you know you have so few uh, minorities speaking on speaking on sports, but you have all you know it's it's nothing but minorities playing the sports, and I think we can add so much more. We can add some depth, uh, you know, in terms of describing what's going on on the court and all, especially off the court. So I think that's that's my big goal is is to is to broaden the airwaves and allow and you know have more space for 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 people who look like the athletes to actually discuss discuss the athletes and talk about what's going on and that's a perfect way 
to end this clutch conversation. Those who look like the athletes should be able to talk about them in the ways that are most effective for us to be able to really understand the unique perspective of these particular athletes. Jamal, kind of tell the folks that they can find you in terms of your social media and the things that you're taking place and doing currently these days. Well, definitely check me out on Twitter. Like you said, at Blackatologist, um, active on Twitter. Uh, same with uh, Instagram, at Blackatologist. Uh, Jamal Murphy on Facebook. Definitely check out the podcast we've been doing for for a, a couple years now with Bill, with the legendary Bill Roden, Bill Roden on sports. We we deal with all these type of issues. Uh, check it out on iTunes and SoundCloud. And I'm doing another. Uh, I've, I've start, started another fantasy football podcast called Fantasy Minded. You can check that out on iTunes as well. So, and on and writing wise, uh, uh, like I said, CBS Sports or uh, CBS Local Sports uh, is where I do most of my writing. But uh, you know, I'm I'm in the process of expanding that now, and and hopefully uh, news on that to come. Well, Jamal, I appreciate you taking the time and joining us on the Clutch Conversations podcast. Thank you so much for this Clutch Conversation, and this definitely won't be the last time that we have such a conversation with you. I appreciate you joining us today on the Clutch Conversations podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. I had a, had a ball with this conversation, definitely in both of our wheelhouses, as you can tell. So I would, <laughs> lo- I would love to be back. Thank you for joining us on the Clutch Conversations podcast. You can find the Clutch Conversations podcast available on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcast, and anywhere you download podcasts for free. You can follow the Clutch Conversations podcast on Twitter at pod underscore CC. My name is Kevin Gray, host of the Clutch Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining us. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.